Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. It's theoretically easier on parents. It should be the default to be able to feed a modified version of whatever they're eating. And it helps to encourage the entire family to feed well. So it's actually an optimal public health intervention. So it makes it interesting that I never heard about it in the public health realm before my private practice. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. So what is your own pediatrician's stance on starting solid foods? It's kind of crazy how varied doctors can be. Some are saying crazy stuff like start at four months and spoon feed white rice cereal and wait three to five days. But the vast majority of pediatricians are giving really solid advice about safely starting solid foods. And today's guest is Dr. Jessica Simpkins. She is a pediatrician. She's also a mom of a now one-year-old and she did baby led weaning with her baby. So she'd always been a proponent of it. She has a nutrition background, which she'll tell you a little bit about. But when it came to starting solid foods with her own baby, she's sharing in this interview about how it really kind of opened her eyes to the possibilities of all the foods that babies can eat. And so this is just a conversation sharing one pediatrician's perspective on baby led weaning. Her name is Jessica Simpkins and she is from the New York area. And I just really loved chatting with her because I am so inspired by the work that pediatricians do 
And we were kind of chatting after the interview, like there's so much work that pediatricians have to do that sometimes the solid food stuff gets boiled down to as little as two minutes, that conversation. But what are the most important things for doctors to know? So this is an important conversation, I think, for other pediatricians to hear, but also for parents, if you're struggling about how to talk to your doctor about starting solid foods, hopefully this conversation with Dr. Jessica Simpkins will help. Hello, it's great to be here. So I'm excited to chat a little bit about your perspective on starting solid foods as a pediatrician and a mom. But before we get started, could you share a little bit about your professional history and what you do for work? Yes, um, do a brief bit of my educational history too, just because it's relevant to this talk. Um, I was a nutrition major in college. So I started out there becoming interested in all of this. And I was always interested in it. Always liked eating healthy as a kid. My mother made me broccoli in the microwave in a bowl of hot water every night. And I don't know, it just kind of clicked for me. So I was really interested in it in college, went into medical school. I took an extra year to do my master's of public health during my medical school training. And I went specifically to Yale at the time where the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity was. So I was really interested in um, still in the food realm at that time. Um, I did my residency after medical school in pediatrics. I love kids. And I also know that families are very motivated to keep their kids healthy, even more so themselves, but it often trickles down to everybody. So it seems like a good place to start. And so as far as my professional history goes, after my residency training, I've worn a couple different hats. Um, I, I started out working in the public health realm. I worked for the New York City Department of Health as a school health physician. Then I transitioned into a more of a clinical pediatrician role in a foster care agency I was also working at the time as a newborn hospitalist, working in the hospital with some newborn nursery babies, as well as in the labor and delivery when the babies first come out. And then I transitioned into private practice, which is where I am now. So do you see primarily newborn babies, infants, children? Is it a mix of everything? What's your patient load like right now? Mix of everything. We see all ages zero to 21. Basically, as soon as they uh, leave the hospital, they come to us. And we continue to see them for all their well visits, sick visits, very traditional. So wait, pediatricians see people up until 21. I don't know why. I guess I just thought it stopped at 18. We do see up till 21. Um, we generally keep the kids who've gone off to college and they come home for breaks and they want to see their doctor to get their, their checkups. But we try to encourage them to start thinking about seeing an adult doctor. Becoming an adult. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> so I know we were emailing back and forth before this interview and you had mentioned that you did baby led weaning with your own child. So could you just share what inspired you to take this approach versus conventional adult led spoon feeding? Yeah, um, I first heard about baby led weaning when I started working at my practice now and my colleague told me, you know, there's this trend that's really popular. You should probably know about it. Before this, I'd been working more in a public health realm, so I hadn't really heard about uh, more of the individual side of baby led weaning. Um, and so I was doing some long drives at the time. And so I needed, I liked podcasts, found yours. Um, the rest seems to be history. You know, I just fell in love with it. Um, it made a lot of sense to me. It clicked immediately and it seemed like the natural way to feed. It seemed economical. It wasn't pushed by any one particular industry, which always gives yep. me a lot of reassurance. It's theoretically easier on parents. It should be the default to be able to feed a modified version of whatever they're eating. And it helps to encourage the entire family to feed well. So it's actually an optimal public health intervention. So it makes it interesting that I never heard about it in the public health realm before my private practice. 
So Dr. Simpkins, we know that, you know, interest in baby led weaning certainly on the rise. There's actually one survey that found that over 70% of parents have heard of baby led weaning. Almost 50% have attempted some form of baby led weaning. What sort of questions do patients come to you asking about starting solid foods? Or maybe another way to phrase that question is how do you approach the conversation with your parents and your patients about starting solid foods for their babies? So I would say the most common question I get is just when do I start? And I get that all the way from the very first visit to the six-month visit and um, everything in between. Parents are really eager not only to start that experience of solid foods, they, they're so excited to start solid foods, but they're also eager to start weaning down off of whatever they're feeding their babies with, otherwise breastfeeding or, or formula. And so they are thinking about it from a very early age. And as far as how I introduce it, if a parent doesn't necessarily bring it up to me right away, um, I do try to start talking about it at the four-month visit when parents are at that time period where other people might start suggesting that they start solid food and they might think that they're supposed to be starting solids. Uh, and generally, they're asking me about it then too. So the most important thing that I want them to know is that safety is key. And the easiest way I find to pare that down to a small soundbite type answer is that I want them sitting comfortably in their high chair without falling sideways. It gives them an easy visual and I can show them by in my own body how I would have trouble eating if I was slouched down to the side, if I didn't have the strength to keep myself upright and how I would be more at risk for choking if that were the case. So this makes it really simple for parents to say, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I can go from here. And then I feel comfortable saying that, you know, whatever time frame that happens on, is fine to go ahead and start if you don't see me before then, but most likely it will happen after or around six months. So they know around the time frame that I expect it to happen and they don't have high expectations. And then I always tell them at four months to look into the, the different approaches. So I call it the soft solids versus purees approach. And I explain to them soft solids is the baby led weaning approach in case they see it under that framework. But I want them to understand the concept is different. It's not that one is weaning and one is not. It's a different type of, of feeding. So Dr. Simpkins, take me, like, pretend I'm your patient and I'm a new mom. I'm at my four-month visit and I come to you saying, like, listen, you know, my mom, my mother-in-law, my friends, everyone's pressuring me to start solid foods with the baby because my baby's four months of age now. Should I do it? How do you respond? I say that I worry about feeding babies too early. Number one, from a choking standpoint, and that's everyone's big worry with starting solid. So I think it hits home the easiest. I explain how the choking risk is higher when they're not able to protect their airway by using gravity to bring food down into the right pipe. Um, and that's pretty easy to understand. I also explain to them about the tongue thrust reflex that babies might spit out most of the food at this age. And also that some babies who might be sensitive to those types of experiences could develop a bit of an aversion to feeding. That's probably not that common but it definitely can happen. And so I want them to understand that they need to be cautious about it. And it's actually very common if a baby has a choking incident because they started solid foods too early and weren't ready. We very oftentimes see food aversion, food refusal, and then needing feeding therapy. So you're definitely on the right track there. And one thing I might also add that I think is important, especially for the other pediatricians listening, is that if we take into effect that Every major health body recommends exclusive breastfeeding until six months of age. World Health Organization, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Family Physicians. What, if exclusive breastfeeding, and we know that infant milk is sufficient to meet your baby's need up until six months of life, telling a parent to start solid foods at four months of age is an anti-breastfeeding message. And that's important because we want to promote and continue breastfeeding 
or infant milk, which also includes commercial infant formula. Babies don't need anything prior to six months of life. And, and my hope as a registered dietitian specializing in baby led weaning is that more doctors will be confident to say that, that your milk that you're making mom or the formula that you're feeding is perfectly sufficient to meet your baby's needs for the first six months of life. And just because you can shove a spoon of food down a baby's mouth doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Would you agree? Oh, yes. You're totally speaking my language. I'm very interested in lactation. I'm pursuing my lactation consultant license. And I do a lot of like breastfeeding medicine work with families. And there are so many things that interfere with breastfeeding and solid foods. We don't want that to be one of them. I always try to explain when we do get to the six month mark that I don't expect them to decrease their milk consumption at that point, because I want families to understand that this should happen naturally. It's, it should be an easy transition and Usually it does go very smoothly if we're doing it in the right order. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And I think another helpful tip too is parents always assume the baby's getting bigger, right? The diaper size is getting bigger. The clothes size is getting bigger. So they assume that the volume of formula or breast milk the baby will take will continue getting bigger. And it's important to point out that for most babies, the max volume of formula that they're going to take is at six and seven months. Because by eight months of age, when they start getting the hang of eating solid foods, that's when weaning really kicks in. And we're moving gradually towards baby getting more nutrition from food and less nutrition from infant milk and that is weaning in action. So you don't want to be increasing the volume at nine months of age because your baby is drinking less infant milk because they should be getting more nutrition from food. Yeah, so you can see how that's hard for families to understand. Absolutely. When it comes to developing breast milk and breastfeeding, the, the breast milk can peak around six weeks of age, actually, as early as six weeks, they get to their full volume and they take the same volume all the way till six months. And the problem becomes when we introduce the bottle feeding, not that bottle feeding is a problem in itself, but that we are looking at the numbers when we bottle feed. Mm -hmm. Don't look at that when we breastfeed. When we breastfeed, we stop feeding when the baby's full. And that's how baby led weaning is a natural progression from that is that we want the baby to stop feeding when the baby is full, not when the number of ounces has gotten down to zero. And I love that as a pediatrician and a medical doctor, you're pursuing additional education in lactation because- a lot of moms, by the time they start solid foods, they have the breastfeeding thing down or they've decided not to do that. And that's fine. But a lot of times lactation education ends after the first few weeks of life and parents aren't getting this message. So they assume they're not learning about responsive bottle feeding techniques, which we're very big on educating about because 
you need to learn how to recognize and respond to your baby's hunger and fullness cues, regardless of what infant milk feeding modality you choose. And then we want you to extend that into the second half of infancy so that when you start solid foods, this is just an extension of that responsive feeding that you've been practicing, which is not forcing the baby to drink X number of ounces from the bottle. It's watching the baby's cues and learning, is the baby even hungry? Is my baby full? And then you just keep doing that with solid foods. It's this natural progression. Yes, I really like that. I try to talk to parents about that from day one, whether we're doing formula or breast milk, following your baby's lead is the best technique you can start to develop as a parent. And that extends not only into feeding, but everything else your child will need in the future. Would you say that your experience on how you talk to your patients about starting solid foods has changed since you've had this experience with your own child? Yes. I I mean, obviously it gave me a lot of good experience. Um, I think I was doing an okay job before I had my baby. And I, a lot of that to your podcast, I definitely learned most of my information from there, as well as reading different articles uh, that I, I was able to find. But now I probably have a lot more empathy for the challenges and the process. I'm also a lot more confident about it. Uh, before I was sure that it could work in theory. It made a lot of sense to me in theory. Now I know it can work in practice because I've done it myself. Not that any one kid is going to be an example for every kid, but it does help to be able to see those examples. And I wanted to start out really strong because I wanted to be sure that what I was telling my patients to do was something I would do myself. So I actually did not do the whole purees for a few days approach. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to skip over that, even though I think it's a great idea. But for me, I wanted to make sure I was really confident about it. So right from the start, I gave him full solid foods that were very soft, easy for him to eat. And um, we just progressed from there. And I like that you had that lived experience to share. And I, I know you're aware that for many parents, the anxiety of going from infant milk to soft solid foods on day one is just too much. And so that's why I created this purees for a few days approach. It's to kind of bridge that for just a few days. We do three days of a baby led approach with solids, but we start with the purees. And if you're interested in how to do that, go back and listen to episode five. It's called how to do purees for a few days when starting solid foods. And I'll also link to that episode in the description in the show notes for this episode. So Dr. Simpkins, I'm curious to know from your practice and parents also come in, you know, anxiety about choking, not really sure about how to start solid foods or when to start. What about food allergies? We know that parents get so much misinformation about food allergies and they're testing their baby for foods that the baby's never had a reaction to. And a lot of this is, you know, you mentioned it kind of at the outset, a lot of outside pressure from other companies that are selling supplements to parents on starting solid food. So since we know that 50% of positive food allergy test results are usually false positives, how do you handle patients who are like so worried about their baby having allergic reactions to new foods and like, just give me a lab slip for every single food allergy test out there? Do you encounter that? And how do you respond to these parents who are anxious about food allergy reactions? Yeah, so often. Um, it's interesting, even all the way into like teenage years, when I ask patients, do you have any allergies? They always say, not that I know of. And, you know, that like they're anticipating something to happen one day that they're going to have a food allergy. And so I, as a rule, will not do any food panels that a patient has not had a reaction to. And I do think that's how I was trained. I think a lot of people try to practice that way now, knowing how high the false positive rate is. People are disappointed about that because they really want to know in advance what's going to happen. And we have to give up a little bit of that control when it comes to eating solids in many ways. Uh, letting the baby lead the way is one of them. But the allergic reactions, if they're going to happen, we can't predict it. I always re reassure people with the babies, especially that 
allergic reactions are generally mild the first time they happen. And it's like a warning sign. And we're able to know that something bigger could happen in the future. And that at that time, I will consider doing blood work just to give them a little bit of an idea, especially if there's a question about whether or not the reaction really happened. Then we'll do targeted testing to see, did this one food in particular cause a high IgE level? Um, Are we seeing that high IgE level in the blood? And most of the time, I'm just going to refer them to an allergist if they're having a very clear allergic reaction because they're going to want to do the proper way to test, which is skin testing to make sure that we have a more accurate sense of what the allergy is. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for everyone listening, one of the, you know, the best reminders to patients or anyone starting solid foods is that the only way to know if your baby is allergic to a food is to offer your baby that food. You mentioned a good point. We have to give up a little bit of control and that can be scary, but that's why we recommend starting in week one of solid foods. Just start doing one new allergenic food. Get There's only nine of them. Get them out of the way. Do them early and often. It will give you so much confidence in trying lots of other foods once you realize, oh, my baby's not allergic to wheat. They're not allergic to shellfish. And if they are, your pediatrician will refer you to the specialist who can help you make the slight adjustments that you need. A lot of times these allergies are things babies will eventually grow out of. You'll learn to live with them. And we also really want to embrace all of the foods that your baby can eat instead of focusing on what they can. So I want to kind of close this interview out just by asking the question that we get a lot is like, well, Katie, I love all this stuff about baby led weaning, but what if my pediatrician doesn't like baby led weaning or my doctor doesn't know what it is or they say it's not safe? Any tips for those who are listening on how they can talk to their provider about this approach if it's something that they want to explore with their own baby? So I would say to suggest telling them why it's important to you uh, if there is a lot of pushback. You know, most pediatricians I know are just lovely, wonderful people. And most of the time they are working to meet families where they're at. Most of them would be interested in hearing more about it, even if it's something they've not learned about it before. Like I said, I just looked into this when I started working in a private practice world hadn't heard of it at all until that point. And I live in the nutrition world. You know, I grew up in the nutrition world. So it it isn't that widespread yet. And I think most people would be interested to hear about the reasons why it could work well for many babies. 
And then if you do have a pediatrician who's really resistant to it, but you really do want to pursue it yourself, it's very important to get your information from professionals, from reputable sources, from people who are trained in this field and are giving you advice that they have learned, that they have researched, that they have spent time learning and haven't just learned from their own experience just as a parent. They're, you're, you're really talking to people who have a more wide breadth of experience because what works for one baby is not going to work for every baby. And that's where your professional resources come in, having somebody help out if you are running into obstacles. Oh, thank you so much. That is very reassuring, I think, for parents who might be scared to have this conversation with their doctor. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview and share your experience, both as a mom and as a pediatrician. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Jessica Simpkins. She is a pediatrician. We had a fabulous conversation after talking about lots of other things that pediatricians deal with. I could literally talk to doctors all day long. I really admire and respect the work that pediatricians do. It is not an easy task. And as a parent, I've shared on other outlets, but our family pediatrician died last year, very unexpectedly, very quickly of pancreatic cancer. And it's been really hard finding a new pediatrician because this is not the person who helped me since my babies were young. And you kind of, you meet them and you want to vibe with them. And not all pediatricians are for every patient. I get that, but they are doing such amazing work. And I took two of my seven-year-old quadruplets to the doctor yesterday for their pediatrician appointment, you know, like four months late for their annual. And my new office only lets you bring two kids at a time. Very hard for me. I like have to miss four half days of work to take kids to the doctor, but it's very important to do. I miss my old pediatrician though. Sorry for the long run. I love my pediatrician so much. I love all of the pediatricians that are out there doing amazing work. And thank you again to Dr. Simpkins for coming on and chatting with us about your own perspective as both a practitioner and a parent when it comes to starting solid foods. And I want to say a special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. Airwave makes podcasts for people who love things like science and food and using your brain. Check them out if you need some new podcasts. They're Airwave Media. We're online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you next time. <laughs>